Dennis Bernstein, what's happening today? Hey, 22. That's my birthday, so it's going to be a lucky episode first, John. All right, so DB, here's the funny thing on 22, right? This is episode 22, and our guest today, Anthony Stewart, actually wore number 22 with the Atlanta Thrashers, uh, which, by the way, a little side note, that team, when he was there in Atlanta, their assistant coach was Mike Stuthers, a name we've talked about a few times on this program. Uh, But back to Stewart for a moment. When he came to Los Angeles as part of that trade that brought him in from Carolina, so the Kings in training camp for the 2013 shortened season, much like this year, right? They didn't play in the fall of 2012, but in January they had training camp. They were going to play a shortened season coming out of the lockout. Uh, Dean Lombardi traded Kevin Westgarth to the Carolina Hurricanes for Stewart and uh, two draft picks. I believe a fourth and a sixth round draft pick. Now, Stewart couldn't wear his 22 when he came to L.A. We're not doing a full numerology. Don't worry, DB. But he, did, he couldn't wear his 22 because it was already taken. So he wore 21 in training camp. Uh, which is, you know, I don't know, it's, it's close. It's close. Uh, would have been interesting if we would have had him on the episode one episode ago because then it would have tied in perfectly. But here's really what I want to do, DB, is the name of the studio today, where we are coming to you from here in beautiful Southern California, we are coming to you from the Brian Boyle studio. And I'm guessing, Dennis, that's a name that resonates with you. Yes, it's the one time, I remember one time, John, that I suggested to Terry Murray that Brian Boyle play left wing as opposed to center, and he wouldn't really take me up on that suggestion. So, yes, I'm very familiar with Brian Boyle. Well, you know, the Kings had sort of a... They sort of had a big interest in moving uh, young Boyle around. <laughs> uh, they even tried him on defense once, drafted him out of Boston College, right. of course, uh, and he was a big man. He's six foot uh, six, weighing in at close to 250 pounds, had a successful career at BC, which, of course, made Rob Scuderi happy. But uh, uh, Boyle, uh, the deal was in 2003, he was drafted DB and that 2003 draft. The reason that I went to Boyle and how this all sort of ties together is that we talked about the 2003 draft a few episodes ago. The Kings of course had three selections in that, uh, 2003 first round draft and, and what a draft to have three selections. in. of course they took Dustin Brown. They threw a trade later, ended up with Jeff Carter and, uh, with their 26th pick it was, they selected Brian Boyle, which is how I uh, picked this name for today is because at pick 25, that was Anthony Stewart. So right before the Kings took Brian Boyle, they took Anthony Stewart, uh, or Anthony Stewart went to Florida, I should say. Boyle's an interesting one, though. I do just want to touch on one more thing, Dennis, because uh, we, we talked a few episodes ago uh, about the fact that, for example, I was in Minnesota when Rick Knickel uh, made his debut, or well, at least from a practice standpoint, his first practice with the Kings, and then 
The following night in Chicago, uh, uh, Knickel made his NHL debut against the Blackhawks, and so I was there for that game as well. And, oh, by the way, Dennis, lo and behold, <laughs> do you happen, you don't, but do you happen to know who scored the first goal for the Chicago Blackhawks that night against Rick Knickel? I'll give you a hint. He's a former guest on this program. Warren Reichel. Fantastic guess, but uh, no, Reichel was a member of the Kings at the time. Uh, but uh, you know, it was Christian Rutu, who was a scout for the LA Kings. Oh. Another memorable trip. Uh, so I was uh, on a trip one time going out east, and the Kings were uh, in, they played New Jersey, the Rangers, then they played Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. And there was a game before that. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember it was a six-game road trip uh, that I had been on that, at that particular time. And Brian Boyle debuted in the, for the Kings on February 2nd that year, 2007, I believe it was, or 2008. It was the, yeah, it was 2007-8 season. So February of 2008. Um, he debuts the game uh, at New Jersey. He scores a goal and has an assist in his NHL debut. The following uh, game, a couple days later, at uh, the Rangers... He had a goal, and uh, then uh, nothing at Detroit, but then when they went to Pittsburgh, he had a goal as well. So three goals in his first four games, four points in his first four games. And uh, I'll tell you another funny story. Uh, the Ranger game where, uh, where he did not score, or where he did score a goal, his second game, practiced that morning, game day skate. I get off the elevator at the Garden, and, you know, there's nobody in the building. It's morning skate. And uh, coming onto the elevator as I'm getting off the elevator at event level um, was Susan Sarandon and Mark Messier. And that was very, very weird. But um, apparently, from what somebody else ended up later telling me, Messier was having, like, uh, one of his, uh, his camps. You know, uh, Gretz has those camps, those adult clinic camps, whatever you call them. And that was the culmination of the camp that week. And uh, Messier was hosting his, his campers and a suite or something uh, at the game that particular night. So um, just weird okay. stuff that you don't expect to see when you're at a morning skate. Uh, hey, DB, totally different. Uh, bringing it back to 2021. I don't know if you saw this press release earlier today, but this is kind of a big deal. The LA Kings, uh, they're always looking to push the envelope in, in marketing and, and doing different unique things and trying to uh, gain publicity and whatnot. They have partnered with Hot Ones, this is, have you seen this thing? This is like this really big deal on YouTube uh, where celebrities go on and they, they eat wings. I mean, they've had everybody on. They've had Kevin Hart. They've had Stone Cold, UFC fighter Dustin Poirier, the guy who just beat Conor McGregor. He's done this thing. Have, do you know about this, Hot Ones? Yeah, I've heard about it, yeah. But t tell for the, the people that don't know just what's the concept. Yeah, so I guess it basically it's 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 a show and uh, that, that just does ridiculous numbers. I'm talking like millions and millions. Yeah. It's one of the hottest programs on YouTube, and it's not like it's a, a flash in the pan type thing. It's been around for quite some time, um, and and they just do ridiculous numbers. And uh, they have, I mean, you name any celebrity, and they probably have been on the show. I think it's been on now for about six or eight years, and they've had uh, they've had everybody on there. And uh, the Kings have partnered with them. You can now get some L.A. Kings hot sauce now. DB, I'll be honest yep. with you. I don't have I don't have this yet so i can't tell you if it's hot or not so if you're in the king's organization we know you guys love listening to the program send us a bottle of the hot sauce and we will uh we'll test it out on the air we'll tell you we'll tell you how hot it is and if it's good but uh i guess basically what's happening is the kings have filmed some vignettes with a couple of the players mikey anderson blake lazat cal peterson to name a couple and these are going to start debuting on social media on friday and uh i'm, I'm assuming they're going to be pretty funny uh, and we'll have to take a look at them, and then maybe we'll get one of the players on uh, that were mentioned just there, and we'll, we can talk about the, the hot sauce and, and what happens in these little uh, vignettes. How do you like your wings? How hot? 
Uh, you know, the funny thing is I'm not really a wing guy. I love hot food. Um, as like, especially like Mexican food and things like that. I like it hot, mm-hmm. but I'm not somebody who likes it so ridiculously hot. Like I'm trying to burn the insides just to like show my manhood of how hot I like things. So it's not on a ghost pepper level perhaps, but, um, I mean, I do like, okay. I do like some spicy food and, and, uh, salsa is kind of the, um, that's how I rate a Mexican restaurant, right? How good is the salsa? It It has to have a kick to it. You know, if it's just like watered down sort of, you know, paste picante sauce type things, which I always think about those old TV commercials, you know, New York city, but, Mm -hmm. um, no, like I want a little kick to my hot sauce. How about you? Uh, well, I have a hot wings story. Okay. This was probably two years, two years ago. Dave Fagnotta was in from Toronto and we wanted to go watch football games. So we live in Encino, we're, we're less than a mile away from the gallery in Sherman Oaks. So we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and, you know, set up and I said, okay, ghost pepper wings, John, uh, uh, my, my, and I love hot. I love hot. Like I'll take extra hot all the time. I, I, I needed like six iced teas. It was that, it was that awful. I, I couldn't, I had like four and I couldn't, I ordered 10, <laughs> couldn't get through four. It was that brutal. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. I'm like, oh, we got to get out of here. So that's, so I love it hot, but yeah, it's, I learned my lesson with ghost pepper. I just, I just was, was shocked because I'm, you know, yeah, yeah this is easy. No problem. Right. So, so well, then you need my to, you, ghost pepper story. You need to watch this show hot ones then, because that's basically the whole premise. Yeah. They're going to have 10, 10 wings and each one is progressively right. hotter. So they, they give them like, you know, whoever the celebrity is that's on the first wing they give them is, you know, it's pretty easy. It's yeah. pretty basic, like a mild sure. sauce from Taco Bell type stuff. Right. It's like, it's very, very mild. And they start uh, asking, asking some questions. And um, then, as things get progressively hotter, I would imagine that uh, yeah. the guests are thinking more about, you know, the, the next wing they're going to have to eat rather than thinking about really what the questions are. And, and so you would start sweating yeah. and, and you would not be a good interview. Oh, maybe so we need to get the host no, of would. Hot Ones to come on our program and uh, we can maybe we can do a little thing here on Kings of the Podcast. It's it's been a long time. It's been on what? 14, 15 seasons. So. It's been a while. Yeah. You know, I don't know how far you read, uh, how deep you read into the uh, press releases that, you know, different teams send us and whatnot. But um, when the press release came out this morning, when it was emailed over from uh, Kings PR, I did get a good chuckle out of it. And PR, uh, you know, press releases can be very drab and very boring. Yes. Uh, uh, and, you know, they're, but they serve a purpose, right? They're trying to get the basics of some information out there for the people that don't know a lot about that particular topic, for example. Um, so for someone like us, you know, we're kind of hockey junkies. It, it, it can be, uh, it can be a little boring, but there was one funny thing in this, e- in this uh, particular press release. I don't know. That made me chuckle. It's probably not going to be as funny now that I built it up, but the Kings, uh, along with hot ones, they've done this, this collaboration of apparel. So they have a, a redesigned Kings logo that goes on a hat and they have a Jersey and a sweatshirt and all this stuff. And I guess the apparel is going to be available starting on Friday. And in the press release, it says that you can buy these items I guess they're bundled or whatever. And then it says, or you can buy them a la carte. Now, of course, I just found that funny being that it was a nice play on words considering that it was food related. So somebody had taken the time to be a little bit witty in the press release. Uh, The the press release came from Jeff Moeller, a longtime member of the Kings PR staff. So uh, if Moeller was the one that did that, kudos to him this week for for coming up with that. I thought it was uh, I thought it was witty and I certainly appreciated it. Hey, Dennis, before we get to Anthony Stewart, I do have two other news items that I want to bring to you, um, not just talking about hot sauce, you know, 
you know, last program, or maybe it was two episodes ago, I was mentioning that the Kings, they do have one contract spot reserved for a college free agent. Now, that doesn't mean that they have some, a player that's guaranteed to sign, but they are pursuing several uh, unrestricted free agents. I'm going to be posting an article on Mayor's Manor, but I just thought, why not break a little bit of news here on Kings of the Podcast? So I'm going to give you a couple of names um, that the Kings most likely are pursuing and that uh, I don't know if, you know, how successful they'll be in getting any of these players, but uh, especially because, you know, when you look at where the, the, the state of sort of the prospect pool, where they are now compared sure. to where they were a couple years ago, that was perfect timing for guys like Brickley, guys right. like Ayafalo, guys right. like Lazat to come in and sort of jump the line. Um, the competition is much, much deeper there now, but uh, the number one kind of, I think, college uh, UFA, that's out there right now plays for the university of North Dakota. They just completed the, uh, the NCHC uh, tournament here, by the way, Dennis, have you watched any of the college hockey over the last, uh, you know, four or five days? The tournaments have been phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I heard you when you, I, I saw you raving, but I, I haven't had the time, but I know you were raving about the, oh, the level of play on Twitter for sure. Absolutely. Unbelievable. So many overtime games. I mean, so just so many storylines, you know, uh, in these games, they were phenomenal. And these conferences, just everything that they've gone through to be actually be able to pull off the regular play sure. this season was great. And then these tournaments have more than delivered. I mean, it's, it's playoff hockey. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so at North Dakota, there's a defenseman there, Matt Kierstead. He's probably the number one caller. UFA on defense, so I'll have a write-up about him uh, on Mayor's Manor soon. For people that don't follow college hockey, they can sort of get to know him. We'll have to see if the Kings uh, are able to land him. You know, hey, you have a Hall of Fame defenseman and the general manager in Rob Blake, so when he's sitting across the table from you, uh, again, assuming that the Kings are pursuing him, uh, you know, perhaps that holds some extra weight, and that will help uh, lean towards getting him signed with the LA Kings, but they'll be one of, you know, 25 to 30 teams looking after him. Now, there is another kid out of Michigan State, uh, Dennis Cessna, and uh, he's a little bit of a smaller defenseman, uh, relatively speaking. I mean, he's not small like 5'5". Five, five. I'm just saying compared to uh, Kierstead, he's a little smaller, uh, but he's thick. And uh, he's he's an interesting one to keep an eye on there from Michigan State. And the last one is a forward. His name is Mike Hardman. He plays at Boston College. He was on display going up against uh, probably, geez, one of the best games I've seen in a while, Dennis. Uh, he went up against... Uh, um, UMass Lowell, which is where two Kings prospects are playing. That's Andre Lee, who was uh, phenomenal on the program uh, back in October, I think it was, and Ben Meehan. So they have two prospects at uh, UML, and they played against Boston College, uh, who, of course, was the uh, number one ranked team in the country at the time of the tournament and still are. Uh, they, they took them to double overtime in the semifinal game. That was pretty phenomenal. So a lot going on on the college hockey front. You're going to hear more about this. NHL teams, I think, are going to be signing, Dennis, but I think it's going to be interesting because with the flat cap and everything else sort of going on, you know, uh, and the abbreviated season, so they don't have the full scouting reports. I just think this is one of the sure. more interesting years for uh, for UFAs. There are, you know, there probably are 10 or 20 guys out there that different teams are chasing, multiple teams are chasing. And then, of course, after NHL teams sign, you know, their guys, then, Dennis, there's actually a second wave of college UFAs that take place as well, not quite as heralded uh, in the media, but guys that sign AHL deals. And so the Ontario Reign could even end up adding one or two players like they normally do uh, coming out of college that end up being UFAs. So a lot happening on the college hockey front. Last thing, Dennis, just before we get to uh, Anthony Stewart, Stu is on the other side of the break here. Uh, fans in the stands. 
of course, everybody is excited, and we touched on this a few episodes ago, Dennis, because uh, the Dodgers and, and other outdoor sports, uh, outdoor teams, um, are going to be welcoming fans back in April. So, of course, I've been kicking the tires and nosing around. Hey, how close are we to getting fans back into Staples Center? And uh, one of the questions that I wanted answered this week, DB, was what if things open up, say, May 1st, right? Because you're getting down towards the end of the All regular right. season at that point, and... Uh, would it even be open? Let's just say it's three games. Let's say it's five games. Like, would it be would it be worth it for from the Kings organization, from a Staples Center perspective, to go through all of the effort to open up for? And I'm making up a number here. You know, two thousand fans yeah. in the building. Is it worth it at that point for such a few number of games, or is there a a number of games that um, they're looking at? Like, hey, we'll do it if it's eight games, or if it's twelve games, or you know, we'll do it if it's the playoffs. From best I can tell. Um, there isn't such a number. And from what I have been able to gather, they're interested in doing it and they think that it could potentially happen sooner than May 1st. Now, obviously everything is sort of out of the hands of AEG or the Kings organization or yeah. Staples Center or whatever group you want to call it. It's really in the hands of, you know, uh, state and local officials, you know. Um, but, I mean, exciting, right? We're moving uh, into the different yeah. tiers. We're opening things up around California. But I can't even, my mind can't even, you know, process that information right now dennis i mean just pick a date april 20th fans back in yeah. staples center within 30 days from now i mean how crazy is that you know it's funny you mentioned bring this up john because today i reached out to the uh pr function of the uh la public health authorities and asked them that actual question oh how funny. i kind of framed it like 19 of the 24 nhl based teams have a limited capacity in the building. What is, what are the parameters? Like what, where do we have to hit to get that done? It's orange so tier, I, I right? To get an answer. Yeah. I, well, we're in, uh, yeah, I think, yes. No, we're in red purple, right now. Red, orange. Yeah. We just went yeah, to red yeah, and purple, I, red, orange. I think we need yeah. to go to orange. That That's always been my understanding. And maybe I have the yeah. information wrong, but my understanding has always been, no, you, they needed yeah, to get to orange. orange. So I'm looking for cl clarification and the way the numbers are trending is there an estimated time when we might get to that stage? If mm -hmm. we do get to that stage, and then then what would be the, the scenario? So I, hopefully, I get some clarity within the next twenty four hours. I did say that you know I've been I'm going to be on SiriusXM Friday and Saturday, so hopefully we can get an answer about if that is confirmed that it will be orange that get people in the building and how how realistic is it at this point in time? Because I agree with you, John. I don't care if it's one, three, or five. Like I, I, like tonight. Uh, and we're recording this one on on Thursday. Um, Islander fans are back in at, at Nassau. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a huge boost for just for all of us, mm -hmm. not just the team. Hopefully to win and whatever. It's just another level of normalcy we can get in Los Angeles. And of course, California. You know, th five of three of the five teams would have fans in the stands. No surprises, California at this point. So yeah, hopefully we get some more clarity. But I would love to see because somebody asked me last night if it was weird to see a fight in the, in the building with no fans in the stands. I'm like. You know what? We're we're privileged, but to be in the building, even getting adjusted, no fans stand, it's still sad. Mm -hmm. it, it just every time I go in there, it's 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 melancholy. I'm, I'm great. It's great that I'm privileged to go in the building and watch the games, but it's 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 a different sport without the fans. It's one of the reasons I've stayed away, Dennis. It's it it's sad to me. Yep. Like it's just I, get I you, John. Yeah. You know, every every for those that don't know, uh, every, basically the day game day, we get an email. Uh, saying, hey, you want to do the the, the pre-screen, the medical screen to, you know, say that yeah. you're clear, that you can go in. And every time I get the email, I'm like, oh, you know, kind of thinking about it. Maybe I want to go to the game, you know. But 
It's sad. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I've been, that's like yeah, my second home, Dennis. So to walk into that building yeah, no, with an empty John, and to, um, you know, like we have I, our routines, DB. We, we, you know, we all sit around, we eat our Jay. meal in the press room and then go into the elevators between periods and seeing the fans. It's just, it's sad to, uh, to think about it. So I, I, I'm not into it yet uh, to be in an empty building. It's, it's understood. I, I don't know. Totally get it. I don't know. But here's the other thing, Dennis, and then we'll move on is that I, I do want to commend everybody on the Staples Center side Right up front, whenever they make the announcement, some people aren't going to be happy about it. That's just the way it is. That's the way the world is these days. They're going to, if it's 2000, they're going to want to know why it's not 5,000, right? Whatever the number is, it's going to be less than the number of season ticket holders that they have. And so the non-season ticket holders are going to complain. And then season ticket holders that don't get to go to the first game, they're going to complain. Like there's going to be complaining. But so I want to say this though. Whatever it is, whatever the number is, it's going to be a great milestone. And I want to commend all the people that are putting in the work behind the scenes to pull this off. Because this is not just like, hey, the Kings are back. It's another game night. Just open the front doors to Staples Center and everything works fine. No, dude, the amount of work. And I, I can't even fathom the amount of work that they're having to go through for all the different yeah. you know, medical checks everything. and to stage everything and, and all of the new procedures that have to, people have to be trained on. I mean, it's like opening up Disneyland, right? It's like the retraining yep. of everybody. Agreed. It's ridiculous. I mean, even the retraining of the parking attendants to make sure that you know, it's just, there's so much sure. work that has to be done. And uh, it's been over a year, Jay. I mean, people don't, yeah. there's no muscle memory when you haven't yeah. done your job for over a year. There's gotta be you know, uh, preparation for this. It's, I agree with you. It's not like, okay, everybody's coming. I mean, there are, John, I, I've been to games. There's probably, I don't know, I've seen maybe three or four Staples Center crew uh, employees there, and they're at the, the entrance to scream my bag, and mm-hmm. there's nobody in the building. So mm-hmm. you've been away from your job for a year. So absolutely, you got to get them in the building and train them again and understand where they're going to be and, and how do you manage X amount of people. So, yeah, it's a it's a massive undertaking. I couldn't agree with you more. So please, everybody, who, who, all to all the listeners, when you do finally decide, or not decide, but when you are able to go back and you do attend a game at Staples Center, please, be kind to the people that work there. Be kind. Be kind. Just yes. be kind to them. They're doing their job. When they ask you to wear your mask, when they tell you to walk a certain way, to go left instead of go right, they don't need to hear how you used to do it differently. Okay? That was before. This is now. So be kind. These guys are just doing their jobs. They're not making $300,000 a year. You know, they're just doing their job, trying to feed their family, doing what their boss asked them to do. They're following the protocols from, you know, their training classes. Just be kind to everybody, please, because it will be very annoying and DB, it's going to happen but i'm going to get really annoyed when i see somebody giving a hard time to one of the uh the you know thousands i guess of people that work at staples center that are just they're just there trying to do their job db this is that's all i'm trying to earn and trying to make back some money that they haven't earned over the last year so i couldn't really to best two words john be kind be kind there you go it's the new motto of kings of the podcast we're turning over a new leaf we've gone from the heel program (laughs) to the baby face program uh (laughs) db let's take a quick break we'll be back after the break we'll talk with anthony stewart all things uh related to what he's up to he's now hosting or part of hockey night in canada and hockey central spent some time with the manchester monarchs it should be a fun chat with anthony stewart we'll be back
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. Very excited today to be joined by Anthony Stewart. He's uh, somebody who spent a little bit of time in the LA Kings organization. We'll talk about that. But uh, these days, for the last couple of years, he's been with Hockey Night in Canada on TV and Hockey, uh, Hockey Central on the radio. Stu, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate for uh, having me on this week. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because we had been talking uh, a little bit about getting you on the program, wanted to get your takes and uh, also go down memory lane a little bit. And then the irony of the whole thing is just the timing of how the DSP thing came together and getting Devontae smith Pelly signed to a contract with the Ontario Reign, uh, not with the LA Kings. But uh, you've been, let's just start there. You, you've been training him uh, or training with him of late. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, Matt, so Devo's trained with uh, Matt Nickel in Toronto. He's probably one of the best uh, trainers in the National Hockey League, and he works with guys like Kyler Sagan, McDavid, and stuff like that, too. So uh, when everyone went away to uh, the respective clubs, uh, probably in January, he was still in Toronto, uh, basically just skating by himself. So Matty Nickel reached out to me and said, hey, do you mind putting these guys through the paces for the next couple of weeks? And uh, it ended up being two months that I was working with Devo on a pretty much a daily basis. And uh, I think the Ontario Reign got a gem because um, he's in prime shape. I think that was one of the issues before they were questioning his fitness. But from what I've seen, uh, he he's a legit top nine forward in the National Hockey League. And I think he's going to show that he's ready to go, uh, you know, after a couple games uh, in the minors. In the minors, So I'm a big fan of uh, Smith Belly just based on what he's done. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's got that... Uh, you know, that pedigree. So if I'm the LA Kings and they have aspirations of, you know, possibly going back into the playoffs this year and winning some games, I would take a serious flyer on Spud Pelly because I've seen him on the ice with some of, you know, some of the great guys in Toronto that have been skating and he's up to par with some of those guys for sure. Now, I know that you have, you know, full-time gigs like we talked about. So that that's a lot, you know, with 31 NHL teams to keep track of. And we'll talk about some of those as we get a little bit later on. But have you or did he at least have a chance to sort of take a look at that roster in Ontario and see how young they were and the youth that he would be surrounded by? Because perhaps he's going to be leaned on not only for some offense, but also for some mentoring as well, you know, considering winning a cup in Washington, uh, et cetera. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why they brought him in to be a veteran guy. And he's a soft-spoken guy, but he's actually a really, really caring guy where, you know, he takes time to speak to the younger guys too. And that's how it was for, uh, you know, myself. When I was coming up, going out of my way to help Devo out, and, you know, I used to pick him up. My brother used to have to go wake him up and we drag him to the gym to make sure that he's getting his workouts in too. So I'm sure he's going to pay it for it. And uh, Ontario's got some great young prospects, Nikhil Thomas and, and uh, Quinton Byfield, that I think are going to be stars in the National Hockey League. So to bring in a guy that's won a cup, but is a genuine good dude, that's nothing but A-plus uh, marks in my books. All right, so we want to really dive into your career, and some of this will uh, have some tangential relationships, I think, back to the situation here in Los Angeles. Prior to the trade, um, let's go all the way back to World Junior Days. So, you know, you're, you're drafted in the first round. Uh, that's a big deal when, you, when any player is drafted in the first round. But you also spent some time with Team Canada, and you, this is probably not known by uh, very many people, at least, uh, at least not here in Los Angeles. You led everybody... Uh, on Team Canada your first year with the club there in 2004. And that is, uh, that's quite the accomplishment for Team Canada. Yeah, that's including Jeff Carter too, LA's own. But uh, that's how I was in junior. <laughs> I was a junior star because, you know, I was bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody. At 16 years old, my first year in the OHL, I was 6'2", you know, 230 pounds. So I just basically took the puck end-to-end every single shift. I did that at the juniors as well. But uh, when you get to pro, you got to learn to play the game. And, you know, I sort of had to relearn to play, go from center to the wing and learn how to play defense, learn how to kill penalties. Because when I was with the Florida Panthers, 
you know, they had guys like Gary Roberts and Joe Newendike and Nathan Horton that were playing top line minutes. I'm stuck on the fourth line. So my issue was, you know, I'm looking at guys like Christoph Oliwa and I'm looking at, uh, you know, some tough guys around the league. And I'm like, I'm a first round guy. I'm not fighting these guys. So that was my issue. I didn't fight enough, but I was sure to, you know, teach those lessons to the guys coming up uh, underneath me and my brother who came in the league fighting and, uh, you know, guys like Smith, uh, Smith, uh, not Smith, Pelly, sorry, uh, Wayne Simmons, guys like that, that came in, dropping the gloves, doing whatever it took to stay in the National Hockey League. Well, just speak to that a little bit. Obviously, the game has changed a little bit, uh, you know, between 2004 to, to today. Um, but one thing is still sort of the same, and that is that when players are coming out of junior, where they're allowed to sort of free will a little bit more, especially high-end offensive guys like you were, guys like Quentin Byfield, uh, can you maybe speak a little bit about, you know, what Byfield is going through right now as a teenager trying to adjust? He's in the American League, uh, trying to figure out the importance of defense and playing against men. What was your experience like? You were with uh, San Antonio and Rochester, spent some time in the American League when you were first breaking in. Can you share some stories about that? Yeah, it doesn't hurt to play in the minors. And you look at all the guys, especially from my draft class, a lot of them spent significant time in the American League. And it, it's tough. It takes time to learn how to be a pro, right? You know, I was a, a young guy, got a big signing bonus, bought a house, bought a car. And, you know, you think you're, you you make it right away. But you you got to learn how to be a pro, the day-to-day grind of being a pro hockey player, uh, eating right, trying not to party too hard in a, in a time where that was a big, that was prevalent at the time, <laughs> prevalent, sorry, at the time. So you just have to find ways to adjust. And being a pro in the National Hockey League, it's very, very tough. It's easier that you, the quicker that you figure it out, the easier it's going to be. So uh, for Byfield, I don't think there's any shame in going down there because when he comes up, he'll be up to stay. And I don't care. Again, I've, uh, and I've read the articles. When he gets in there, I don't think he's going to be going back down. And I think he's going to be a star in this league a lot sooner than later. Stu, so uh, you're a hockey lifer, man. I mean, uh, you look at the roadmap. Uh, and your passport must be stamped a lot. But a- after Carolina, you went to British Elite League, came back to the AHL, went to the K, went to the Swiss League, went back to the K. Right? Is it just the love of the game that made you pursue that? I mean, that, that's a lot of traveling for a you know, relatively young cat. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And, you know, you hockey was all I knew at the time, too. So you want to do whatever it takes to play pro hockey as long as it takes, right? So... Um, after uh, L.A., I ended up getting traded. Sorry, I went to a, a PTO with the San Jose Sharks, did not make it. It didn't end up not making the team, and I actually had to go to KHL, and it didn't work out. I think the success rate for North American players is probably about 50%, so obviously it didn't work out, and still trying to chase down half my money there. But uh, that just shows, you know, the love of the game, you're willing to play it. It's who you are, it's what you do. And, uh, you know, I ended up playing in that LNH uh, league, the fighting league, which is probably one of the toughest leagues in the world uh, because that's how much I love the game. When did you start looking towards, I can do broadcasting, I can do analysis? When did that start? Uh, I think it just started, you know, just on Twitter. I was on Twitter just tweeting away, you know, doing gifts just about the games. And actually one of the radio uh, program directors in Toronto asked me if I ever thought about doing media. And I said, well, I like to tell jokes. I like to, but I've never had any formal training. So I started off doing radio uh, for a full year. I started off with a one hour slot, just talking about the Maple Leafs. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, uh, you know, guys weren't allowed to travel in and out of of the country or the city. So I was probably one of the few guys in the city that were just available. So I ended up doing Hockey Night in Canada and, and doing the playoffs where I ended up getting two hour, two years 
uh, the experience probably in about two months because I was working pretty much every day. I was doing three games a day sometimes in the playoffs. So I got that experience in a short period of time just being available, not saying no. People are saying, hey, can you go on the radio and do a, a 6 o'clock in the morning hit? Yes. Can you do a 9 o'clock at night sure. hit? Yes. So I really just made myself available and dove in head first, and those opportunities uh, you know, started uh, opening up. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I'm making the most of it now. And, so, and you were a tough player. I mean, you were a physical player. So, so what's your take on – on these questionable hits and the player uh, department of player safety and, and just the lack of hitting in the game. So when there's a big hit, it's a suspension now, as opposed to, Hey, you know, five, six, seven years ago, that was a really big hit. Yeah. I think from a player standpoint, you just want a little bit more consistency because one hit that is deemed legal. One game is illegal the next. So I think you can't really tell when to go, when not to go. And some of them have been very, very questionable, but let's not forget hockey is a full contact sport. Um, you know, I have never been diagnosed with concussion, but I've been hit and I've been leveled, you know, by some very questionable hits over the years too. So let's not forget that it is a contact sport. There are going to be injuries, but again, obviously, you know, player safety is paramount out there too. So uh, from the player standpoint, you just want a little bit more consistency because you want to know what's acceptable and what's not. Stu, I want to go back to the time when you were traded from Carolina. So just to sort of reset the table for everybody, the Kings win the Stanley Cup uh, in 2012, and then there's a lockout. And uh, finally, when things get going again in January, right before training camp is about to open, if I remember the timing correctly, uh, Kevin Westgarth goes to Carolina. You end up coming uh, to California, to, to the Kings. And your tweet at the time was outstanding, by the way. I was going back through some of my notes because we had John Mayer's Manor a number of times during that training camp period, and you were pretty funny. The tweet at the time was, well, actually, I'll ask you, do you remember what you, what you tweeted out right after the trade? I'm trying to think. Maybe I'm going back, back to Cali, Cali. I think that's what it was. It was the notorious CIG line. Is that what it was? Well, uh, well hold on. That's LL Cool J. Let's get it right, uh, first of all. But second, uh, no, you tweeted something even better, which is, thanks for the opportunity to play for the defending Stanley Cup champions. Hashtag, do I get a ring? Which I just thought was an outstanding welcome uh, to the LA Kings. No, you didn't get a Well, at least I don't believe that they gave you a ring. So uh, you can break that story right. if they did. But uh, right away... I, I thought that one of the things that I enjoyed about you being uh, in L.A. during training camp at that time was that you were very honest, uh, I, I felt, much more so than, so than most players in terms of understanding where you were. Uh, you, you told me some stories. And you said, look, I know my back is against the wall. Uh, you know, I understand my role. I understand where they are with the roster. I understand why I'm here, what I sort of bring to the table. And uh, ultimately, of course, it didn't end up working out in Los Angeles. You, but you did end up in Manchester for what was kind of the, uh, the final hurrah, I think, for that group under Mark Morris before there was a a change to bring in coach Mike Stuthers and, and, you know, they went on to have some success there, but that group that you played with in Manchester, Tyler Toffoli, Lyndon Vay, Brandon Cozen, Tanner Pearson, Jordan wheel, uh, Andrioff, the Laurier, uh, Loktianoff, That was a group that had a lot of promise uh, and they just really weren't able to fulfill their promise that season. What was your take having spent so much time there with them that year? Yeah, well, I'll start off just when I got traded there. I was like, you know what? I had 20 points last year in, in Carolina playing fourth-line minutes, and I had 40 the year before in Atlanta. I'm like, that 20 points puts me probably, you know, fourth in scoring. So, I, you know, I'm like, I got traded. I'm probably going to be playing on the first line. Everything's going to be a go here. And near the end of training camp, again, I was I prepared to be in the NHL. I went to England to stay in shape, stayed off the heavy beers, and I was ready to go. And uh, Dean Lombardi calls me in his office, and – 
you know, he's laid back. He's got his feet on the desk. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Stewie, go get your places all the go. And he, he's like, sit down. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I wish I could put your hands in Kyle Clifford's body. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's like, I wish I could put the two of you together to make one player. And I'm like, okay. He's like, well, you know, I have to go with the guys from last year. Uh, you know, we won a cup, so I have to go with those guys. And then there's just a bit of an awkward silence. And I said, okay, so am I on the team? He's like, nope. I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? He's like, well, you're going down to Manchester. We want you to be a good veteran guy. And I'm like, okay, no, no, no problem. I'll go bide my time. I'm on a one-way contract. No escrow, no big deal. And uh, so I got down there, and I'm staying at the residence inn, and I'm living there with, you know, guys like Colton uh, Yellowhorn and stuff like that, too. And, again, I was doing my best to be a good veteran. I'm like, I'll go down and have a couple fights. And But every morning started with Mark Morris saying, Every conversation is like, Stu, I know you don't want to be here, but, and I'm like, okay, that's the wrong way. So, but every morning, that's what he said. So it's very tough getting adjusted there. But what was great was seeing the young guys like Toffoli, who was scoring top shelf every single game, Pearson, uh, Lockdown, as you mentioned. Stu, Even Stu. Wheel, I'm like, we are going to play the National Hockey League as well, too. And uh, Martin Jones at the time, he was an amazing goalie. So uh, the funny story of going down to Manchester is, uh, we get knocked out of the playoffs in five games and, you know, we all go our respective ways and, you know, I'm a week into off season, you know, I'm partying and, you know, I'm eating Chinese food and, and having a good time. And Daryl Sutter is like, where's Stewie? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they're like, he's in Toronto. So Kyle Clifford gets hurt, I think in game five, I think against St. Louis Blues. And they literally call me the next night and they say, Stewie, uh, we might need you to fly to St. Louis to play against your brother in game six against the uh, St. Louis Blues. And I'm literally at the Chinese food buffet. You know, I got probably five beers in me. I'm dropping <laughs> my pay face. I put on 10, 15 pounds. And I was honest. I said, guys, I'm going to come, but I, I need, I need three, four days to get in, to, to get in back into game shape. I'm literally out of game shape. guys. <laughs> so they're like, okay, just get down here. So I ended up not playing and they ended up putting Pearson into the lineup and the rest was history because he played very, very well. But I actually, I wasn't on the taxi squad that whole entire playoffs. I was actually practicing with the team every single day. And we ended up losing, I think it was uh, in game six or seven to uh, Chicago. So uh, I missed my opportunity. I had a chance to play, but I skipped it because I was honest with myself saying that I wasn't ready to go. So that was, pretty, that was, a, that was a pretty good story for sure. Yes, it was a, a brutal seven-game series with Chicago. Uh, the Kings could have had a could have had a three-peat that year if they would have been able to get by them. It, you mentioned Col- Colton Yellowhorn. I have to ask you a question about him, but we need to take a quick step back. You just sort of glossed over the Toffoli thing there, saying that he was going top shelf. So I have to wonder, was this before Tanner Pearson gave him one of the best nicknames of all time with Top Titty? Yeah, and then everyone asks me, what's his nickname? And I always tell myself I can't say it. So I'm glad that you said it. I won't say it, but he had that nickname. And I think it was Lyndon Bay that gave him the nickname. It was just funny because, again, I was the big party guy when I was younger. Just seeing these young guys have fun. And, you know, I had a family at the time. My son's living with me at the hotel. And uh, just seeing guys like that and at the beginning of their careers and knowing that they were going to go on to have pretty good careers. They did pretty well before going over to Russia. Wheels had a pretty, pretty good career. Martin Jones has got his big ticket. So it was great seeing those guys at the genesis of their pro careers. And, you know, any way that I could have lent a hand, I was, I was happy to do that. All right, so back to Yellowhorn. Only the diehard fans are going are gonna to really enjoy this, but there is something about that guy. I don't know what it is, but when he was in Ontario playing in the ECHL, 
he's just one of those players that the puck finds a way to go in a lot like a Toffoli in many ways that, you know, they're just, they're goal scorers. Colton Yellowhorn was that guy. Ultimately it, it sort of uh, topped out, you know, in at the American league level, but he's another hockey lifer that, that has been all around the world and playing in, in Asia, I think at this point, but uh, just what was it like to watch yellow in practice and, and, and some of the crazy stuff that he'll do, especially in a shootout. He was probably one of the most talented guys that I played with that never played in the NHL. And I remember having a conversation with him. They're like, man, like if you got in shape, like you could play. And he's like, nah, and I'd rather have some beers after practice and drink some wine and eat what I want. I'm so not true. content doing what I want to do. And I'm like, dude, like you can actually do it. Like you're sick. And he came up on the East Coast League and I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, here's this guy looks like Jack Black and he's out of shape. And <laughs> you put him in a game and he just puts up points and points and he runs the half ball like Patrick Kane and, I was like, man, I'm like, I'm not your agent, but like, I want to call your, your agent and be like, dude, like, get this guy in shape because, like, you know, there's guys like Versteeg, they're best friends. And I mean, I think he was as talented as Chris Versteeg, and he just put up points. He put up some major points coming out of the coast, stepping right in and into that situation with guys that were already running some numbers. So he's one of the most talented guys, bar none, that I've seen that never play in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. Mr., you mentioned uh, DSP as a mentor, guys like Quentin Byfield and Keel Thomas, but. You were a first-round pick. You're a player of color. Like, back when you started, what were the mentors? Like, who helped you navigate the NHL when you came into the league? Uh, trial by fire. But, again, I had some guys that sort of reached out to me sort of, you know, off the cuff. Kevin Weeks helped out a bit. Uh, Anthony Carter. And I actually trained in L.A. with T.R. Goodman. So my actually workout group is because my wife uh, went to Cal State Fullerton, and I had to drop her off. And, uh, I told uh, T.R. Goodman, the only time I could train is at 10 o'clock. So I have to, we have one car. I got no money. So he's like, okay, come in with the pros at 10 o'clock. So my training group was like Anson Carter, uh, Rob Blake, Sean O'Donnell, and, and James Conn. James Conn, <laughs> James Conn, too, was in group. But Ashley Schneider and Chelio. So here I am, 18 years old, you know, learning from these guys. But the one thing I always remember, we always went to breakfast afterwards with Rob Blake or Anthony Carter. They would actually pick up the tab and say, hey, kid, you know, one day, you know, just pay this forward. So that's why, um, you know, I do my best to help out the younger guys too. But, uh, you know, it, it was tough for me being the first guy and the first guy in, in our family to actually own anything or have uh, significant money. So, uh, you know, you learn you learn some things the hard way, but I did my best now to teach those lessons to the younger guys coming up. And Stu, so let's transition to this season, what's going on in the league right now. Is it is it Tampa Bay's cup to lose at this point, or do you think there are like other legit, like Vegas or maybe even the division, Carolina, Florida, that, that, could, that could take the crown from them? Yeah, I think Vegas probably might be the team to be just because, you know, they have the two-headed monster in that flurry's been carrying the torch, especially after, you know, he was deemed the number two and he's proving that he might be in the Vezda conversation as well. Tampa's playing some good hockey, but let's not discount. I know I'm sitting in Toronto. I don't want to sound like Homer Simpson, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are on a different level. They've been in a little bit of a, a, a funk lately, but just seeing them when they're on, all the lines rolling, they got secondary scoring, but Austin Matthews scoring at will, uh, Marner is up there with league leaders. So I think Toronto is, is, is very favorite, one of the favorites coming out of the East too. But the New York Islanders, everyone always you know discounts them and yeah. what they can do, but Barry Trotz has them playing that system, that park-the-bus mentality where they just smother you in the D zone. So I think it's a team that has a combination of a good defensive system and obviously you need some offensive firepower. So 
Uh, I'm going with Vegas for now, but uh, I don't want to discount the LA Kings. I think this is a year that they can squeak in, but it's going to be tough with St. Louis and Colorado. And I don't think anyone really thought that the Minnesota Wild would be sitting in second place uh, in uh, in the Honda West division either. So let's talk about players for a second. So I, I've got to vote for the heart. I'm not sure that you do, although you're a broadcaster, so you might. Like, is there any way you can't not vote for Connor McDavid the way this guy is just insane the way he's playing? It's, it's, it's on a different level. And, I, and again, I was near the end of my career. I went to the Biosteel camps and he was on the ice and we were skating on a small rink. And just seeing his speed out there, I was like, I was like almost afraid of his safety, of his safety because he was going so fast. And I was a pretty fast guy when I played. And just seeing him, his speed, not just without the puck, but with the puck, it's on a whole different level. It's almost as if he gains speed. You know, he's a lot faster with the puck than without it. But just the plays that he's making at full speed, the passes, he's always moving his feet, always jumping in plays, always making something happen. I think he's going down, not just the best player, you know, of this generation, but of all time, just based on what I'm seeing. Back to the West. And by the way, props to you for getting Honda in there uh, when when you named the division. That's great. I'm a corporate man. I'm a corporate man now. <laughs> I love it. So, so yes, out here in the Honda West division, uh, you mentioned Minnesota. Just uh, the job that Billy Guerin has done. I think there were a lot of questions coming in about what he would be able to do with that team and what he had to work with. Um, you know, obviously getting a rookie, but yet an experienced player coming over from the KHL is always going to help you. Uh, but just overall, what do you like about the job that he's done and sort of where do you think they go from here as they approach the trade deadline? Yeah, they, they have a lot of guys sort of coming out of nowhere. Capo Kakadin's playing some good hockey as a goaltender. I think he's had eight or nine wins in a row. Uh, but what's good is they're, they're, the guys are developing. Erickson Eck is having a great season. There's some questions on what type of player he was going to be. Jordan Greenway's playing in a, in a top six role, too. And uh, Kaprizov just coming over from Russia, just being an amazing player, too. So they still got their veteran guys in, in uh, Parise and Suter. But the young guys are really coming in playing some major roles and it just seems like every night they're on the highlights with some guys doing something amazing Kaprizov one night Fiala the next night and you know Zuccarello so uh, I really like the additions that they made especially with Cam Talbot and that I know he's had some injury problems this year as well too so uh, you know kudos to Billy Guerin because he sat on his hands a little bit not really making any deals right off the bat he was patient uh, he saw where his team was at and he made the necessary moves so uh, I think they're the real deal in this division for sure. So I want to go back to your broadcasting career, and, and you're at the pinnacle, right? Like, hockey night in Canada. So, I, for, for the fans out there, like, how when, when you are preparing for Saturday night, like, how much preparation do you do? Is it two days? Is it one day? Is it hours? Like, or you just, you know, get in front of the camera and start talking? What What's the prep for you <laughs> for this Saturday's broadcast? It's funny. It starts on Thursday, and I'm going to have a call right after this where you literally have a group meeting for about 45 minutes going out uh, over what you're going to talk about. There's probably about 20 people in on the call. And then now Friday, you talk to the producer about the notes and what you're going to cover. Uh, if there's a game on Friday that you might be covering on Saturday, you got to talk about it Saturday. So it's about three days of preparation. And, you know, you go on air at 6.30 for a pregame show, but you got to get in there at 3, 4 o'clock and go over the script. So it's a lot of preparation. And with me, I'm a guy that likes to wing things. Just put me in front of the camera and then and I'll talk <laughs> away. But uh, this sure. is next level. This is the Super Bowl. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So yeah. it's very, very tough. But 
again, I've held my chops doing radio. I've been doing hours and hours of radio. So that helps, but I'll tell you, it's very intimidating with the lights. There's 20 people in that studio, uh, you know, obviously socially distanced, but then now you're sitting at a desk with Ron McLean, who's probably, you know, a legend and one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. And uh, yeah, you make your mistakes, but the one thing I can say, everyone's helpful. Elliot Friedman, David Amber, these guys have been around for 20, 30 years and they're not turning their nose up at me. They're going out of their way you know, when I mess up to, to help me or give me some notes, if I need something quickly, um, they've been very extremely helpful. So um, I urge all these guys that, that uh, aren't sure what they're going to do when they're done playing, get into media, get into broadcasting because they're welcoming ex-players. And for me to go from a Twitter account and two years later to be sitting on Hockey Night in Canada, definitely an amazing feat. Yeah, certainly. Congratulations. We want to give you all the props in the world. We want to get yep. you. We want to book you back for another episode. We still have a ton of questions. Let's just do. A, we'll let you go. Let's just do a quick lightning round. Uh, three quick questions, uh, starting at the bottom of the Honda West Division, as you called it. Uh, Anaheim next year. Do they have a new GM and or a new coach? Uh, I think they're going to have a new coach. GM. I think the GM's a lifer there. If you know what I mean. All right, Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Oliver Ekman Larson, is he a member of the Arizona Coyotes on opening night next season? No, they tried to get rid of him this year. They tried to get him to waive his contract. I think he's gone after uh, after the season, yes. All right, and last one then, Taylor Hall. Where does he go? They're saying Toronto, but I say he somehow he ends up in Tampa Bay. Don't quote me on that, but I think Tampa Bay. <laughs> okay. Well, wow. We won't quote you on it, but it is part of the podcast. Stu, it's been outstanding. Um, I'll deny it. I'll deny it. There you go. There you go. Like any good hockey player. Let's get you booked for a return episode. We'll just do two hours all on Manch Vegas. Uh, it's been outstanding. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Anthony Stewart. Follow him on Twitter. Watch him on Hockey Night in Canada. Listen to him at Hockey Central. He's all over the place. We'll be back after the break. We'll talk more hockey. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, third period Kings of the Podcast. Now, if you were paying attention, that was LL Cool J uh, there. I played that just for uh, for Stewie, by the way, uh, because for those of you that didn't pick up on it there, I corrected him. And uh, I know there's some hip hop people out there and they're going to want to argue with me. So, yes, everybody, I understand there is a track by Biggie uh, with that name. But the real issue here is that LL Cool J is the OG as far as I'm concerned. And when I hear going back to Cali, it only means one thing. It means LL Cool J. So we can argue that on a different program, Dennis. But music is a big part of the show here on Kings of the Podcast. Okay. It is, Jay, but yeah, that would be a discussion for, I think, uh, episode uh, 32, not 22. <laughs> okay. 
Well, hopefully by episode 32, the Kings season has moved along a little bit further and they're getting closer to securing a playoff spot. They're in that 4-5 area right now. We can talk about the Kings in a moment, DB. Before we get too far uh, into the third period here, I do just want to give some updates on the Ontario Reign. Uh, now, this isn't really an I told you so moment, but you know, hopefully you've cooled your jets a little bit because I kept telling you, wait till you get to about the 20 game mark, right? Give it a couple weeks. Uh, and they are looking much better now. They're on a nice little four game winning streak. Things have started to settle in a, a little bit. Quentin Byfield now looks like he's adjusting to the pro game, even scored, scored a, uh, a shorthanded goal the other day. Here's what I wanted to get to about the rain though, DB. I think there's something interesting percolating and kind of happening below the radar. Arthur Kaliev in last night's game in uh, Tucson, they just swept a uh, two-game series in Tucson. Arthur Kaliev has now taken over the scoring lead for the Ontario Reign. And now, to me, he's done it very quietly. All the talk has been about Byfield and Turcotte and even Kapari. And here's Kaliev taking over the scoring lead. Now, why that's important, Dennis, is that the Ontario Hockey League, any minute now, is expected to announce that they, are, they have yes. a return-to-play date and from what we were sort of, what I learned a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I broke this information, reported it on Kings of the Podcast, was that the Kings' internal plan was to send Kaliev back to the OHL. Again, I have to say this all the time, DB, because people don't know. Arthur Kaliev is not eligible to play in the American Hockey League this year. So the only reason he is is right. because the OHL is not playing. Once the OHL is playing, then Arthur Kaliev, Quinton Byfield, the only two options for them OHL or NHL. Mm -hmm. And that's why Kaliev went back to the OHL last year as well. So the plan was at the beginning of the season. Because of his age. It's because of his age. Yes. When, yes. When, depending upon, well, sort of. And that's not exactly true. It's, it's depending upon his age because he was drafted out of the OHL. His age as, it, as right. a standalone fact is not all of it. Because like Bjornfoot, he's 19 and he can play in the American League, but that's because he was drafted out of Europe. So the rules for European drafted players are different than the rules for players drafted out of the CHL, right. which would be the Canadian Junior Leagues. So right. Kaliev went back to the OHL last year. If this had been a regular season, Kaliev would have gone back. Uh, back to the OH. Did I say AHL? I'm sorry. Last year, Kaliev went to the OHL. He would have gone back to the OHL again this year had it been a regular season. Correct. And even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, I was hearing that the plan was for Kaliev to go back to the Ontario League and finish out the year. And the general idea there was, look, uh, A, we don't have a roster spot for him in LA. But even if we did, uh, we're not going to play him more than six games because we're not going to burn the ELCs. We've talked about that to death on the program, Dennis. And so, mm -hmm. basically, if you the point is, if you want the guy to be playing, well, then he has to go to the Ontario League, right? Sure. So here's what I'm wondering, though. The last time I checked on him, this was a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the rain were struggling at that point. And Kaliev, you know, although he had already made his NHL debut, he was back in the American League, and he was doing okay, and he was trying to get his feet under him, and the team wasn't playing as well. The line right now, Kaliev, Turcotte, and Kapari, that line is lethal, okay? And Kaliev, mm -hmm. like I said, just took over the scoring lead. Let's... Fast forward this a couple more weeks. Let's imagine that he continues on this point per game plus point per game uh, pace that he's on right now. Now, what do you do? Do you still send him back to the Ontario League? And can you do that? Or, you know, is it going to mess with him? Uh, and is he going to see it as too much of a demotion? Even if you explain it to him, right? Artie, look, we could keep you in LA, but you wouldn't be playing. And what's best for you is to play as many games as possible. And dude, don't worry about it. You're going to be on the Kings next year. Like there's a whole way to present the information, but you just don't know how a kid is going to process that information. I think it's a very uh, interesting thing that's sort of percolating below the, below the surface, DB. Well, uh, above the surface, John, is that if you do send them back, 
he's going to have to quarantine for 14 days. And so now you're taking him off the ice for 14 days. He can't do anything. He's got to stay in a hotel or at home or whatever. You really want to do that for his development too? Or do you want to bring him here, put him on a taxi? Well, you can't put him on a taxi. You, can't. Gotta put him on, you have to put him on, on the, the roster, NHL roster. Right. You gotta, right, you have to put him on, you have to put somebody else in the country. So put him on the roster, meet him a healthy scratch and have him practice. That, that's another thing because now you want to, and same thing with, with Byfield. Do you want to disrupt their, their short year of development again? And with Q, it's even worse, Jay, because that would be the third time he had to, quarantine this year yeah but here's the thing but but dennis they the decision well i I shouldn't say the decision the thought process because nothing is official until it is right the thought process was that byfield was going to end up being called up to la and be on the roster not play uh but he was going to be for the reason part of the reasons you just said you don't want him to go through quarantine again after having already done it a couple times um but also because they want to keep him up with the kings they want him practicing with the big club and being around those guys and so you know yeah yeah, he's not going to get to play um, those extra games that Kaliev would. But DB, there is some hope that they're going to reduce that two-week window and they're going to get sort of, sort of a yeah. athlete exemption yeah. or whatever. I think Friedman was talking about it this week, even in uh, his 31 Thoughts, yeah. I, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but I know Friedge has uh, you know all kinds of great information. Um, they also mentioned on TS and Insider Training. But John, okay. here's the thing. Can this team actually waive someone other than Grossnick? I mean, they haven't waived anybody all year. <laughs> Right. Here's the they thing. Here's no, the, you're right. You're right. But DB, they haven't had to. They haven't. They haven't had to though because oh, now is the time. You're 100 percent right, DB. Now is the time. But here, it, this is the this is the fly in the ointment. And what I was going to say that that's funny about all of this, because Michael Amadio, we've joked on the program. He's had like nine lives. He should have been on waivers yeah. already, right? But then oh. Anderson. But you had first you had Ferk, who's hurt, and so that gives them an extra roster spot. Then Anderson Dolan's hurt, so that buys him a little bit more time. So Amadio's just hanging on there by a thread. Okay, I mean, don't tell Todd McClellan yeah. because that's you know, teacher's pet right there. By the way, I, I'm putting in, um, I'm submitting to the LA Kings PR department. I strongly recommend that Michael Amadio changes to number 74 because he's not a 10. He's a 74 in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> I just needed to get that out of the way. Uh, long time. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I was going to say, long, long, long time followers of Mayor's <laughs> Manor. They certainly understand what, I'm talking, about, what I'm talking about. Um, so my too. request is, is my request ahead, has been please. placed. I don't think it'll be honored, but here's the thing though, DB. No, I don't think so. Um, the yeah. longer the OHL delays this thing, okay, and nobody, I don't care, I don't care how connected they are, nobody knows how long this is going to go on because no, it's already on. gone on far longer than anybody expected, okay? Agreed. But the yeah. longer this goes on, the closer you get to a very important date on the NHL calendar. On April 12th, the NHL rosters mm-hmm. can be expanded. So just to help everybody understand this, there are only 23 roster spots that are available. So one of the many, 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 many issues of bringing up Quentin Byfield right now is how do you fit him onto the roster? Now, people say, oh, we'll just wave Michael Amadio and put him on the roster. Well, here's the problem. If you don't plan on playing him, then that's one less person that's available when they get caught up in a jam. And by the way, they've been jammed up a couple times this year, DB, including this most recent road trip when they were in Colorado, they were jammed up, right? They had had the... uh, Alex Iafalo was sick, and then they had Mata with the, the false positive or, or, or whatever going into protocol, or Cal had the false positive, and then Mata was in protocol. Yep. They've been blindsided a couple times, and they've needed some extra bodies, right? Daniel Brickley almost got into the game in Colorado. Uh, Leas Anderson has been right there. So they had to take Kapari on the road when Jod was injured. So you can't just put mm-hmm. Byfield on the roster unless you feel that 
in a jam, he's ready to play, right? So, right. but here's the thing. Yes. On April 12th, the rosters expand, and so they can do it. So if the OHL keeps dragging their feet, and then they're like, okay, look, now we're making an announcement. And think about the dates right now. We're talking, we're on March 18th, Dennis. They haven't announced it. three weeks away. Yeah. So yep. if they announce it, you know, let's just hypothetically say on Monday, if they announce it on Monday that they're coming back, they're going to need to announce a date that they're coming back that's like sure. three weeks from then because the quarantine. It's not going to be the next day. No, right. right. They can't because if everybody has to quarantine for two weeks. Well, first, they have to get right. some of their players over here from Europe and whatnot. So if you quickly yeah. get all the players into uh, Ontario, then they quarantine for two weeks. They're still going to need a training camp yeah. for a couple so, days. Right. DB, we're, right. already, we're already at April 12th. So the yeah. rosters can expand. And now it's easier to hold Byfield. It's easier to even hold Kaliev because you have the roster spots without causing the drama and the conflict of you know, getting rid of a, a, yeah. a player that is serviceable to you. Enough about the prospects. Okay. I think we're bearing the lead a little bit here. So I don't think enough attention has been paid to the core players. And I'll reference NHL Network in December. NHL Network had Andre Kopitar as the 20th best center in the league. Drew Doughty, the 15th best defenseman in the league. And Dustin Brown wasn't even on the uh, the radar. How about we pay a little bit of tribute to these guys who well, Drew and I mentioned I tweeted it last night, John, and, and it's one of the things of, of being at the game. Like Drew got called for a holding penalty in his own zone, and he disagreed with the referee. And he had a conversation with the ref, skated to the skating to the box, still had a conference uh, conversation with Francis Sharon, got in the box, door opened up, no screaming, no yelling, no let he was just calm, controlled player like just trying to have a conversation what did i do i disagree with you again it's the maturation so kopitar brown Dowdy. i don't think enough has been and, and look we rightfully talk about what's coming in the future but but these guys have been massive for this team not that their reputations were solid but i think with respect to the standing in the rest of the league these are elite players i've spent the last three years telling everybody anybody and everybody that will listen that drew dowdy is still one of the best defenseman in the National Hockey League and among the, I'm talking about a handful. I'm talking I'm not talking top 20. I'm not even talking top 10, okay? And for my money, he still is among the top 5 defensemen in the league. And people want to argue that point, but it's the same thing I've said about Jonathan Quick for years. You tell me in a game 7 when a game is on the line, who are the type of guys that you want to have out there? And there's nobody better. They're, they're just these guys are elite among the elite. And it's funny that Drew has had so much disrespect around the country or North America, for that matter, around the hockey world um, when he's been playing on a crappy team for the last couple of years. It doesn't take away from his skills and it doesn't take away from what he's capable of. And as far as Andre Kopitar goes, uh, a Hart Trophy season, uh, you know, worthy season is really not that surprising. When you look back to when this team was good just a couple of years ago, the first year under John Stevens, he was a Hart Trophy nominee. And then the wheels fell off for a couple of years and they're going in a different direction and they have a different purpose. Now that they have that playoff purpose, that's in a very important uh, point. It's a lot of peas in this story, Dennis, but that's a very important point to this story. <laughs> the guy on that list among the group of five that probably deserves the most credit but will never get the credit because he's not a Norris Trophy-worthy type uh, uh, talent. He's not a Hart uh, Trophy-type talent. But the guy who has been absolutely just 
terrorized for many, many years, going back to Daryl Sutter, the guy who has taken it on the chin from the fans, from the media, about his... Con- Dennis, go back to Kings of the Roundtable when, when we got into a big argument with a couple of people about the yeah. next contract that he was going to sign. Dustin Brown has long right. been underappreciated in the LA market. I wrote an article that when, when they were going to take the sea away from him, Dennis, and I said they should build a statue. should be one of the first statues they put up out of this, uh, out of this group here. And, you know, people will talk about Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar because they're Hall of Fame players, and they'll probably even talk about uh, Jonathan Quick in that same breath. But anybody who sleeps on the importance that Dustin Brown has meant to this organization is solely, solely out of touch with reality and what's gone down here since 2003 when he was drafted. I know you have a take on uh, Dustin Brown, so I want to let you get to that, but please make sure we get back to Jeff Carter because I have a couple thoughts about the fifth person among the core. But back to Dustin Brown, DB. Go for it. Well, yeah, the great thing about his season, John, is that other teams are taking notice. If you look at a team like the New York Islanders, who just lost their captain, Anders Lee, a left winger who's gritty around the net, who's a leader. Look, I'm not saying the Kings are shopping him or anything like that. I, I would not be surprised if the Islanders are doing some due diligence behind the possibility of Adding him because Anders Lee's out with an ACL. He's done for the season. This is a championship caliber team with Anders Lee. Is Dustin Brown Anders Lee? No. Could he be a replacement better than Kyle Palmieri or uh, Mikhail Granlund? He would be. It may come to a situation in the next couple of weeks where Rob might be getting some phone calls on the guy. And I'm not advocate trading or anything like that, John, but it's, it's not just us that have taken note. It, all of a sudden, these contending teams that think they need one more piece He's now, go ahead. He's now attractive, John. Dennis, I almost texted you earlier today, though. I wanted to ask you: Have you lost your damn mind? Seriously, I'm watching the video that you guys put out. I, they're not trading Dustin Brown. He can get. Yeah, I didn't say they were. Twenty-eight other teams, twenty-nine other teams, hell, thirty other teams can call about Dustin Brown. It boils down to this: the price that a team is willing to pay. If you're not giving up a first-round draft pick to get Dustin Brown, and nobody's giving up a first-round draft pick to get Dustin Brown. don't say nobody. Okay. John, that's the whole point. Let me me give you the scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me give you one scenario. Give it to me. Second-round pick and Kiefer Bellows. But, but John, because the Kings have cap space, if you take Leo Komarov, we will give you a first-round pick. So there are scenarios where you can get a first-round pick because the Kings can take on salary, and mm-hmm. that would enhance the pick. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm giving you scenarios where that could, especially with a team like the Islanders, where that could happen. And it's a question of now does Rob want to weaponize his cap space at the deadline? He and wants look, to. He wants to is, weaponize the cap space, but come on, he, Dustin Brown. I, I just, I just don't. Here's the John, thing. There's John, a very emotional attachment. There's a very emotional attachment because of the situation that Rob Blake himself went through. Losing the captaincy, the the angst that it created within the fan base, him being traded, him being booed, him eventually coming back as a free agent. Signing in Los Angeles, which is still one of the most bizarre moments of Dustin. But you have to set all that aside when the general manager. You you can't make emotional trades or not make emotional trades. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that our point was is that people who would never put this player in a conversation about adding him at the deadline, guess what? Teams are looking at him. I'm not saying trade. I'm not saying Rob Will. I'm saying saying that his value – because of where he is, how he's produced. Hey, right, right now, 
he'd be the leading goal scorer on the Islanders. <laughs> so the <laughs> Islanders are saying no. So, so there, there is now value attached to that. So I'm saying that would it be a shock if somebody picked up the phone and said, hey, we see the leadership. We see the, the cap hit, which really isn't that bad at this point in time. We see you have cap space. You can help us out. There are scenarios that are going to be – there may be conversations about this player. I'm not advocating. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying that that in with respect to how other teams look at Dustin Brown, remember two, three years ago, John, worst contract in the league. Now sure. he's a viable option sure. for some teams. That's how, so, so that his renaissance, that's how high this renaissance has gone. Okay. That now he could be a viable option. So, yeah, I'm not advocating it. And when I mentioned it in the video, I said it's a wild card. I didn't say, oh, okay, he's on 10 teams, you know, trailer. Mm-hmm. It's it's now a situation. No, but you did get social has- media worked up into a frenzy and then all the Kings fans, oh, you know, I mean, so, yeah, congratulations yeah, for that. Yeah, you you have uh, you have a can of lighter fluid when you're recording those videos. You have a can of lighter fluid in one hand and you have a, a, a torch in the other hand. So. I'll give you full credit well, John, for that. I'll use your famous word, context. <laughs> yes. Context. Watch the video again and context. That's and okay. of course, you get the blowback. Of course, you get the blowback. Yeah, so thanks. Because you're welcome, John. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate it. What are all um, these tweets about? Look, look there yeah, is uh, Dustin Brown does hold an eight-team no-trade list, uh, uh, eight teams, and we believe that we know who seven of the teams are. Uh, Dennis, we've yes. talked about this many times. Now, uh, Brownie Agreed. grew up, if I remember correctly, Brownie grew up a Ranger fan. So that would even add uh, another element to this whole story here. So um, sure. here's the good news. I don't think they're trading Dustin Brown. I think that you have presented an interesting trade scenario from a cap perspective, weaponize that cap space. And now, if you end up getting a first-round draft pick out of it, that is uh, that is interesting. You at least you at least calmed my rant for a moment and had me listening. And I do like Kiefer Bellows as well, or liked him coming out of the draft at least. So there is some interest there. Um, can we get back to Jeff Carter, or do you have anything more on twenty three? Yeah, please, no, no, I'm done. I, I had enough. Okay, I said enough fires there. <laughs> okay, so thank you. Go on, go, Let's go wrap on, up Jeff. today on Jeff Carter. It's always difficult, Dennis. Whether it's it, regardless of the the forum that you're using, whether it's Twitter, which is very difficult to mm-hmm. offer player evaluations in two hundred and eighty characters, whether it's an article. That that you're writing or even here, you know, in an audio form on the podcast, it's difficult to talk sure. about certain players because of the emotional response that people have. Um, just like people yes. seem to get really worked up when I talk about um, there are four numbers that will be retired. It's 23, 11, 8, and 32 when this group is done, you know, right. all is said and done. And there's always, I just constantly get bombarded with the, well, what about Jeff Carter? And then, you know, have to go right. into defense mode and explain why Jeff Carter will probably not sure. have his number retired in Los Angeles. Look, Jeff Carter was arguably the most important uh, trade that Dean Lombardi ever made. The point to where I'm going all of this with all of this TV is that over the last six, eight, 10 games, Jeff Carter has not been the same player that he was earlier in the season and his production has been diminished. And, um, uh, on the left side, McClellan didn't seem to appreciate my question the other night about how much longer, you know, when Kempe's on this hot street, how much longer are you going to keep him in the bottom six? And when do you start to elevate him into the top six? And it's funny because he ended up getting top six minutes the very next game after McClellan poo-pooed my idea. Right. It wasn't because he thought about it and liked my idea. It was more because Alex Iafala was injured. But it's just ironic how those things yep. sort of happen. The point is that Kempe now seems to be working his way back into those top six minutes. And I was assuming that it was going to come at the expense of, uh, number 22, ironic, back to the top of the program, DB, at the expense of double A, it looks like it's going to possibly, potentially, most likely, probably come at the expense of uh, number 77, Jeff Carter. Carter can end up 
on the fourth line if you think about it because McClellan has said he's not disrupting right. the third line, which jod is the, right. the jod line. And you could try to tell me all you want that that's the fourth line. Just check the minutes log. That is not the fourth line, guys. Jod and Grunstrom and Moore are not getting fourth line minutes, which means if Carter gets squeezed out of the second line, he's on the fourth line. I don't care what the roster sheet says that, that somebody tweets out from the PR department. That, uh, he would be on the fourth line, TP. Or he'd be scratched. Woo. Might, might come to that. Woo. Uh, that'd might be a tough to one. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's tough, man. That's tough. Yeah. I know. So, and, and you're right about the third line. Look at, look at the at St. Louis game. Like that was the second line. What are, <laughs> I think John played 17 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And all face off. That's what I'm saying, DB. So, that's not the fourth yeah, line. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's not. The, it was the second line. Yeah. Not, no, it, I think you might have a situation where, Depending, look, do you really want to take Matt Luff out of the lineup? Because now you're going to have to bump Luff out of the lineup to put Carter on the fourth line, uh, right? And I, I just think there's going to be, man, there's going to be a conversation at some point, John, because if he's he's going to continue, and it's, this is about his productivity, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're going to be in the mix here for a postseason, but you got to put the best 12 skaters out there, John, and you can't really, again, I know you, you get an emotional because there's an emotional attachment to these players, but you know, is it going to serve the organization better to have Jeff Carter in the fourth line of Matt Luff? That's a decision that has to be made. I can't make it. I can't make it for, for Todd and you can't make it for him either, but that it may come down to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Austin Wagner would be another option there as well, right? Yeah. Wagner was in the lineup last night. Dustin Brown was out of the lineup. So uh, mm-hmm. last night uh, they opened up the game. This is I'm talking about the game against uh, St. Louis. So you St. had Louis. you had Ayafalo, uh, Kopitar, and Kempe. But if you put Brown back in there, where do you put Kempe? If you drop Kempe to the second line and you go double A Velarde with uh, Kempe, and now you have to put Carter somewhere. You can put Carter down on the fourth line. He is a right wing. Matt Luff is a right wing. You know, but yeah. if one of them was willing to play, uh, me personally, I would rather scra- uh, scratch Austin Wagner than um, Matt Luff. I think Matt Luff needs to be in the lineup, and I'm not ready to pull Jeff Carter okay. out of the lineup at this particular point. I'd feel more comfortable if I was a coach having Carter in there than Austin Wagner. Um, so that's the okay. decision for me. Is really is it's about Carter versus Wagner than it is more uh, more than Carter versus Luff. Look, you know, once Michael Amadio is eventually no longer part of this team, however that happens, whether it's on waivers, a trade, whatever, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the next on, I think everybody's hit list at that point among the forwards is going to be Austin Wagner. Again, great guy, great kid, very fast, fast as, you know, fast as lightning. This is about production. This is about results. And uh, we've said it many times, DB, really on this team, there's only room for either 22 or 27. You don't need both in the lineup. So... Agreed. Would you, let's just wrap on this, Stevie. Would you uh, move 22 or would you move 77 off that line if you were going to put Kempe uh, on that second line? Um, I would, I would, I would, if Carter is going to continue to play this way and have lack of production, I'd scratch him. Uh, I just don't want to see the other guys. I just don't want to disrupt anything. I don't think, John, at this point, you have to accommodate Jeff Carter. Mm-hmm. I think that all the things that you mentioned and the person he's turned into, and he can be a leader. And he could be a leader by practice and not playing the games. I mean, and is it the flip side is John, is it disrespectful to play Jeff Carter nine minutes a night? Well, I'm going mean, to, that's I, a great maybe, question. Okay. I'm going to give you another scenario though. 
I like the idea of putting Carter back with Blake Lazat because for whatever weird reason, and I never would have expected this, uh, there seems to be right. some chemistry between the two. So I'd rather put Carter in there with Lazat. Let him play his nine minutes a night. That's fine. But then I was going to throw a different curveball at you. Does 23 have to go back in alongside number 11? Or could you put 23 on the right side of Gabe Velarde? Because we only uh, saw it for a couple of games earlier this season. And Todd went to it, I think, in the third period of one of the games in Colorado. But Brown with Velarde, I like that combination for some reason. And I know 11 needs a security blanket of 19 and his other security blanket of 23. (laughs) It's It's not that, John. It's 13. Like last night, I made a bad play took a bad shot, got benched for the last 331 in the second period. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot. I'm not putting Dustin Brown with Velarde. I think Velarde has got to figure out his game a little bit more. He had a good stretch there, but again, John, it's the five on five play. I, I think that, and, and I know you could, it's a chicken and the egg, right? He needs to play you better wingers, but he's got to be better. So do I want to jeopardize Brown? Who's got 13 goals and 26, then take him off away from Kopitar. I don't want to do that. I, I want to see Gabe, like start being a little bit more aggressive with his shot. And I've been begging that all year. And I know mm-hmm. I, I still don't know why it doesn't happen. I mean, it may be a situation where he may be in a spot, John, emotionally where, where Kempe was maybe last season, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, he's not the, I, you would think he's the alpha and he's not like when you look at Gabe's size and we got to remember he's played 30 NHL games, but remember Kempe until this season was not this aggressive player that he really needed to be. And I tweeted last night that move he made on the power play early and didn't wind up scoring. I said, Kempe, make that, make that move twice a game. That's mm-hmm. all I'm asking for most games, not even every game. I think with Gabe, his game still has to come before I want to put Dustin Brown there. And so I think you have to have another solution with respect to that. Cause I'd still want to maintain keeping I follow Kopitar and Brown together. All right, so we have now done our our job here, uh, DB. We have sort of laid the groundwork so that the fans can begin the emotional process of understanding that there is a good possibility that Jeff Carter will not be long for the second line. Now now that we've said that, of course, he'll go out and score a hat trick in the first game against Vegas, and then everything stays as is. But uh, it certainly looks like, DB, reading reading the tea leaves at practice, it looks like that uh, McClellan is at least toying with the idea uh, of uh, of moving Jeff Carter. So we will see where it goes. Dennis, a fantastic sure. episode. Thanks again. It seems like hours ago, but Agreed thank John. you to Anthony Stewart for joining us. Can't wait to book him back on the program again. I loved hearing the Yellowhorn stories, uh, the story about Dean Lombardi, uh, you know, telling him that he was going to Manchester. Just a, a fascinating individual, and, and he's 100% right. He was just sitting around thumbing out tweets that he thought, you know, that might be funny, and the next thing you know, the guy ends up hockey night in, uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. It's a, it's a great success story db and we love hearing those absolutely i couldn't agree with you more just a wonderful story and a guy who's got a future in broadcasting he's absolutely when you watch him on hockey night in canada he's absolutely contributing from a player's perspective he's done a really good job in a high pressure situation no doubt about it thanks to all the listeners for tuning in we will be back uh shortly here in a couple of days with another episode of kings of the podcast until then stay safe everybody i've got a-